Welcome to the Wayside Podcast. I'm Robert Killingsworth. The audio for this episode comes from a sermon that was given during one of our Sunday services. We hope you are encouraged and inspired by today's word. Good morning. Good morning to those of you in the pews and those of you watching us virtually from other places. Happy Easter. Good, you remember it. Easter continues. Well, you might have heard the old joke about the guy who goes to the doctor, says he hasn't been feeling well. Doctor gives him an exam, leaves the room, comes back in the room with three different bottles of large, large bottles of pills. And the doctor says, so what I want you to do is take the green pill with a big glass of water when you get up. I want you to take the blue pill with a big glass of water after lunch. Then just before bed, I want you to take the red pill with a big glass of water. And the guy's a little startled by having to take all this new medication. He says, gosh, doc, I didn't know I was that sick. What's my problem? And the doctor says, well, you're not drinking enough water. <laughs> I knew it would go over good because it went over at eight. Yeah, I even got a couple of chuckles at eight this morning. So, you know, sometimes we don't realize uh, what we really need, or perhaps maybe better put, we think we need one thing when what we might need is something altogether different. What might you need? What might you need? Some of you might say something simple like an uh, extra day off or that appliance repaired. You might need a painter or a car mechanic. You might need a new doctor or dentist. You may feel you need to visit your priest or visit with a counselor. Some of you may feel you need help with your kid. Some of you may think you need a different kid. (laughs) You may need a legal mediator. You may think you need a divorce attorney. And those are all needs that some of you may be facing right now. There is a human tendency, though, to believe that once we get our temporal needs met, then I'll be set, you know, I'll be at peace. I'll be without any angst or worry. For instance, if I have enough money, I have the right house, I have the right friends, I think I've made all the right decisions, if I seem like I have it all together, if I fit into a slimmer pair of pants or keep that bald spot away with a little bit of Propecia or Minoxidil, then then I'll feel blessed. Your clergy here have made reference from time to time to a big caution light about something known as the prosperity gospel. The basic tenet of this is teaching is that God wants you to be blessed in material ways. He wants you to have health. He wants you to have wealth. He wants everything in this world to go good for you. The prosperity gospel does not allow for things like enemies or cancer or depression or divorce or the kid off the rails, you know, life, real life. The prosperity gospel does not really square with what Jesus describes as a blessed life. And frankly, it doesn't square with his gospel. Out of Jesus's 12 apostles, 10 were martyred. One took his own life in despair. One died after a long season of exile on the island of Patmos. John the Baptist, who lived on locusts and wore Camel hair clothing would have likely been tossed out of a prosperity gospel church, or at least been sent to their gift shop to buy a new wardrobe. 
We know that most of Jesus' followers had paying jobs that they gave up to travel as nomads, living on the generosity of others. For most of them, they gave up things they thought they needed to bless them in exchange for being blessed for the deeper need they had. What do I mean by that? Well, let's turn for a moment or two to the gospel lesson that Jill just read for us a moment ago, the passage that we know as the Beatitudes, the opening salvo of that Sermon on the Mount. Just about six weeks ago, my wife Laura and I, along with our St. Martin's Holy Land pilgrims, visited the Church of the Beatitudes. It's the traditional site believed to be near or at the spot where Jesus began his Sermon on the Mount. It sits rather high, that church sits rather high, and below the calm aqua waters of the Sea of Galilee are lapping against its shores. We were actually given some private time to walk about. And as I walked the grounds, I tried to imagine the scene before us in this gospel lesson today. Now, at this point, Jesus' reputation as a healer, miracle worker, teacher, is already spreading, and the crowds have grown. And he begins, blessed are you. Now, notice he doesn't say things like, blessed are you who are rich in personality. Blessed are you who have nothing about which to be sad. Blessed are you who are bold and brash. Blessed are you when you've had your fill. Blessed are those of you who have it all together. No, Jesus doesn't say those kinds of things at all. Jesus talks about true blessing. What does that look like? Well, time doesn't allow me to unpack each of the eight Beatitudes. Good news for the person in the pew. Uh, But I think the key beatitude is the first, and it's blessed are the poor in spirit. The reason I think this beatitude is key is that it really is the central avenue of opening the door to every aspect of a spiritual life rooted in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me say that again, because I think it's really important. The reason that this beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, is key is that it really is the central avenue of opening the door to every aspect of a spiritual life rooted in a relationship with Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, the poor man is the one who's afflicted and unable to save himself and therefore looks to God. Another translation of this beatitude is Blessed are those who know their need of God. King David. King David was not physically poor. He was powerful and rich and had property. But as we see in the beautiful psalm he wrote that we just heard, he realizes there's an even deeper poverty than a lack of riches. This spiritual poverty can wreak havoc on the soul. And so David cries out in the psalm that Jay read for us a moment ago, incline your ear to me, O Lord, answer me, for I am poor and needy. Hear me, Lord. I wonder today, is that perhaps the prayer of your soul? Hear me, Lord. Answer me, Lord. I need you, Lord. I need to be filled, Lord. I want to hover over that for just a moment. If what we, each of us, really need is God, then will that need be met by more of anything that this world has to offer? 
And I'm not saying that we can't enjoy more or make more or have more, but Jesus puts it right in front of us here. He doesn't bless us with more if we have our psyche in the right place, rid ourselves of negative energies, put on our best Sunday suit, if only if we have it all together. No, the one who is blessed is the one who is broken, the one who knows he or she is broken, and who in that brokenness of spirit confesses, I need God. Blaise Pascal, the French mathematician philosopher, put it like this, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God the Creator made known through Jesus Christ. If we try to stuff anything but God into that God-shaped hole in our lives, we'll end up dissatisfied and restless and discontent. But fill that God-shaped hole with God, and what do we find? In a word, blessed, because our deepest need is met. Now, there are two really practical aspects of this clear understanding of this need of God. The first is that it opens for us authentic Christian character. Confessing that need opens the door to the remaining seven of the Beatitudes to be realized. For these qualities unpacked before us in Jesus's blessed assurances, if you will, are not eight separate and distinct groups of disciples as if some are meek while others are merciful. You and I as Christians are called to be all of these things. They are eight qualities of the same group who at the one and the same time are meek and merciful, poor in spirit and pure of heart, more and hungry, peacemakers and persecuted. But the key to opening all of that is embracing and confessing your need of God. Most all of us have heard of the 12-step programs of Alcoholics Anonymous. What I believe Jesus offers us here is a similar version, eight steps to spiritual maturity. And let me be clear, these are not requirements, eight steps of things you have to do, They're not part of a contract as if you do this and God will do that. And that's hard for a lot of us to understand because we live in a quid pro quo world. I do this and the world does that in return. But you and I don't worship a quid pro quo God. Remember the apostle Paul gave up everything for God. His career, his power in the religious community, all of his past. And his reward was to place his head on a chopping block at the end. Nevertheless, he would say, nothing, nothing surpassed the blessing of coming to experience his need of God. And out of that need, knowing and serving Jesus Christ as his Lord, Philippians 3, 8. So very practically, the Beatitudes reveal not a contract with God, but more like a covenant with God, like a deep friendship, like a marriage, if you will. They're a reflection of your relationship with God. God loves you. You love God. And when you do, what will begin to naturally spill out of you are these qualities. Confessing your need of God then becomes the birth canal of day-to-day Christian living. For once you and I come in touch with our need of God, our spiritual poverty before Him, then goodness and holiness begins to be born within us. 
And so as an engine might pull the rest of the train, the poor in spirit will pull along a family of Christian qualities. The poor in spirit will naturally mourn their loss of innocence. And that mourning leads us to be meek and allowing our spiritual poverty to condition our behavior to God and others. And lastly, we find that we begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness, which sets us back on a path toward the holy life to which you and I are called as Christians. In short, you might say, Confession, contrition, conversion, sanctification, the process of being made holy. They're all found in these first four Beatitudes, which describe a kind of inward process that has an outward effect. What's that outward effect? Well, we become more merciful. We become more pure in heart. We desire to be peacemakers. And we will likely, verse 10, the last verse tells us, we'll likely be persecuted, because while God may honor and bless these attributes, the world usually tries to crush them. Now, there's a lot much more to it than that, but again, I'm limited by time here. So, a first and crucial part of embracing our need of God is to allow that to come to the surface so that we can be more and more the agents of love in the world through things like humility, mercy, purity of heart, kindness, and motive, and so on. But there's a second part of embracing that blessing of need. You come to understand that true, deep, abundant life is fueled exclusively by our life in Jesus Christ. And don't get me wrong, again, you and I have much for which to be grateful. And there are many things in relationships in this life that you and I would describe as blessings. But we understand true blessing when our eyes are focused not on the gifts, but on the giver. And that's hard. It really doesn't happen overnight. For most of us, it takes a lifetime to understand that. I think that's one of the true dangers of wealth. One of the reasons which Jesus said to us, it's hard for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven. Didn't say it was impossible. But when your eyes are on all those things you own, all those blessings here that you can touch and feel, all those things that you think you have together, when you feel really blessed in this world, it's hard to let go of that, to step into the other world. Having it all together here often means we're blinded to the fact that we really need God all the more. Hey, if you look on your sermon notes page, page 26. Pull that open for just just a second. Those of you watching virtually, we're going to pop that slide up for you for a second. You can see what's offered there for those in the pews. And this is a a photo of a sculpture by a friend of mine named Craig Biddle. Craig is an Episcopal priest and an artist, and he's the man responsible for our Emmaus sculpture in the Pastoral Care Center. If you haven't seen that bronze sculpture, make your way over there at some point. This is a photo of one of my favorite of Craig's pieces. Craig named this piece, The Call of Peter. It's inspired actually from a scene in the chapter of Matthew's gospel right before today's reading. Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee. He sees Peter and his brother Andrew fishing and he calls out to them, follow me. Now Matthew's gospel says, at once, at once, they drop their nets and follow But I have to wonder if this was the first time Jesus called Peter or the time that finally wore the good old fisherman down. Because I think my friend Craig has the Polaroid snapshot pretty accurate here. Peter thought he needed those fish and he's hauling them in. 
But then he hears a voice speaking to his deeper need and he turns his neck craning in the direction of God Almighty in the face of a Nazarene carpenter. And so he's torn. His hands and arms, the entire strength of his body is latched onto that net and those fish. And that's, that's one way to be blessed, at least in the world's eyes. But his eyes and his ears and his heart and his soul, they are turned in a different direction toward the one who is speaking to his deeper need, his deepest need. And if he will let go of that net, he will be blessed in a different way altogether. He will see, Jesus says, the kingdom of God. And we know, of course, he did let go. And because of that, blessed was Peter because he knew his need of God. Okay, now you can close your bulletins back. You can take the slide down for a second. Here's my question. What net might you be holding on to today? What net might you be holding on to today? Do you know your need of God? What does it really mean to be blessed? In the late 1600s, the Watts family welcomed a new baby into their family. Unfortunately, he was sick through most of his infancy. And that was something that challenged him for the rest of his life. He was small, puny, some would say. As a teen, he was always frail and delicate. He wasn't able to play sports with other boys. As he got older, he felt called into the ministry, became a clergyman, but his health was so fragile, he could not serve his growing congregation. He was not what, what we might call in my home a whiner. He didn't complain about his troubles. In fact, though he had little physical stature in the world's eyes, he also had an incredibly buoyant spirit. Some would say he was cursed throughout his life with bad health. The boy who became a man could only see blessing. And he lived that blessing out in the hymns. He began to write hymns that bespoke of the blessing there is in needing the grace of God. We know his hymns. Joy to the world. Joy written by a young man who had every reason to feel like he had gotten a bum rap, but instead gave his life to Christ. We know another, in fact, we just sang it. Oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast, and our eternal home. Oh God, our help in ages past, present, and future. When his health finally got the best of him, Isaac Watts died in 1748 leaving behind one of the most remarkable collection of hymns the world has ever known, over 600 of them, most of them hymns of praise and joy, praise from a man who was able to live virtually his entire life with all sorts of health problems and yet feeling close to Jesus Christ until the end, not because he was blessed in the world's eyes, but because he knew his need of God. I'll leave you with one more, one more quote. It's in, your, it's in your bulletin. You can look at it later. Take it home. Look at it later. No surprise from C.S. Lewis. God made us, he writes. Invented us as a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on petrol, on gas. And it would not run properly on anything else. Now God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were desired to burn. Or the 
food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That's why it's just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion. God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. So let me go back to where I began. You know, sometimes we don't realize what we really need. Or maybe perhaps better put, we think we need one thing when what we might need is something altogether different. Do you hear his voice? Are you turning toward him? Are your arms exhausted with trying to hold on to nets filled with blessings that last but a moment? Do you want more than that? The solution is actually easier than you think. Blessed are those who know their need of God. Give that need to him and you will be blessed. Give your need to him and yours, Jesus says right here, give your need to him and yours will be the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Thanks for listening. The Wayside Podcast is a ministry of St. Martin's Episcopal Church in Houston, Texas. It was created by Ryan Presley and the Reverend Wesley Arning. It is executive produced by Robert Killingsworth. The theme music was written and recorded by Robert Killingsworth. If you're interested in life at St. Martin's, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at St. Martin's Episcopal Church.